So we pick up the story this morning. We're going to look specifically at uh, verses 35 through 45 here in chapter 1. And what we're looking at here is the story of the advancing of the kingdom of God through the, the ministry of Jesus. And so I've, I've entitled the message, The Forward Motion of the Kingdom, because Jesus comes and he inaugurates the kingdom, and he, through his ministry and through the ministry of the apostles and on and on, um, that, that ministry would be advancing right down to this very day. The kingdom of God is still uh, moving forward to this very day. So as we look, though, at the passage that we just read together, Mark tells us three things about the Lord's ministry. He tells us that, first of all, it was based in prayer. Secondly, that it was focused on preaching. And thirdly, that it was carried out in power. And so what, what we want to do is we want to look at the passage itself, as we've been doing and um, look at the account that Mark gives us of Jesus praying, preaching, and healing, and make the uh, needed comments on the text. But then we're going to come back around, and we want to look at those three essential components in the forward motion of the kingdom in every generation, those components of prayer, of preaching, and of power. So, Beginning with the, the passage itself here in verse 35, Jesus in prayer, we see now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So when we, when we look at the Gospels, we find um, many, many references in the Gospels to Jesus praying. And we're going to find this throughout the Gospel of Mark. Uh, you can find it in Matthew. You can find it in John. Um, interestingly, Luke, even though we're not in the Gospel of Luke, Luke, Luke highlights the prayer life of Jesus more than anyone else. And the reason for that is because Luke, his focus with Jesus is on his humanity. And Luke kind of presents Jesus as the, the perfect man. You know, the, the different gospel writers had, had different um, things that they emphasized about Jesus. So Matthew emphasizes that Jesus is the, he's the Messiah. He, he's the king of Israel. Uh, Mark, as we have seen, uh, Mark presents Jesus as the, the servant of the Lord. Uh, John presents Jesus as, as God in human flesh. And, and Luke presents Jesus as the perfect person because Luke was a Greek. And so the Greeks were very much interested in uh, like the perfect specimen of humanity. So, so Luke tells us much about the uh, prayer life of Jesus. But here, Mark does as well. And he tells us that it was early before it was daylight that Jesus went out to a solitary place to pray. So we see here that Jesus is praying, and, and obviously two things are happening. Jesus is genuinely praying. He genuinely needs to uh, connect with his Father for the ministry that God's given him. But I think also we can safely say that Jesus is doing this as an example to us. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But, but he shows us by example the importance of prayer. Notice that it was very early. It was before daylight. He says, actually, that it was a long while before daylight. Now, in the context, remember that Jesus had been ministering the night before, late into the night, because it, the people from all the surrounding villages had come to him, and he was healing their diseases. He was casting out the demons. And the picture is that this went on late into the night, and then Jesus rises up um, a long while before daylight. So it shows us that Jesus um, saw prayer as so important that he obviously, you know, slept for a little bit, but he got up early and he went out and he sought out that solitary place. And a number of times we're told in regard to the prayer life of Jesus that he would withdraw 
and that he would go into a solitary place. And of course, we need to get away from the busyness and the craziness so we can actually focus in on prayer. Jesus was showing us the importance of that. In Luke's gospel, the fifth chapter, the 16th verse, uh, Luke puts it this way, Jesus often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. And so showing us the, the importance of getting into a place where we're not distracted. He went out to a solitary place. Now, Jesus is there in this solitary place. And as we read on, it says, and Simon and those who were with him, they searched for him. So, you know, if you just think about the scene, they all go to bed at night. <laughs> they, uh, they, they wake up in the morning and Jesus isn't there. And they're wondering, you know, where did he go? So they go out and they're searching for him. And they find him, and, and then they said to him, and I think they said it like this, uh, kind of like, what are you doing? Everybody's looking for you. Why are you out here in this deserted place? Why are you out here in this solitary place? Everybody's looking for you. So at this stage, we're early on in the ministry of Jesus here in Galilee, but we see that his, his popularity has already um, come to the point where as it says here, everybody was looking for him. But notice what Jesus says in response to that. He said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also because for this purpose I have come forth. And Mark adds, he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. So Peter says, you know, what are you doing here? Jesus, that everybody's looking for you. Jesus says, it's time for us to go. It's time for us to go to the next town so that I can preach there. It's interesting that even though there's this great crowd that's gathered and they're, they're clamoring for the attention of Jesus, and of course, he's been healing people, so uh, the crowd is growing. They're hearing about the possibility of being healed as important as that was, Jesus says, that's not the priority. Jesus says, we must go to the next village as well because I have been sent forth to preach. So here we see the second thing. We see Jesus, for him, preaching is a priority. Now, the word preaching means basically to proclaim or to publish something. I'm gonna talk a little bit more about preaching a little bit later, but um, I, I just clarify that because sometimes we, we get like a certain image in our minds, you know, when we think about preaching. And a lot of times it's, it's kind of a negative image, isn't it? I mean, like we might even say to somebody, if we feel like they're, or, you know, if somebody's saying something to us that we don't like, and especially if they're telling us that we ought to do something or not do something, we might say something like, hey, stop preaching to me. Um, so then, you know, when you think of somebody preaching or being preachy, that becomes like, ah, you know, I, I don't want any preaching going on here. The word doesn't really mean that. The word really just means, it means declaring. It means proclaiming. It means publishing. That's what Jesus was doing. And as I said, we see that that was a, a top priority for him. Even more so than the healing. So there's multitudes. Jesus, everybody's looking for you. And of course, they were looking for the healing. Jesus says, it's time to go to the other villages to preach. He says, because this is the reason that I was sent for. So as much as Jesus came to heal and to have mercy and to touch people who were physically afflicted and demonically oppressed, uh, his, his priority was preaching, was proclaiming the truth of God. And then the third thing that we see is Jesus and healing power. And that's here in the story of the leper in verses 40 through 45. Now, just a few things about this particular incident here. First of all, the leper. In those days, a leper was, he was a leper, he or she was as far out uh, cast as you could possibly be. They, they were social outcasts. And you were uh, instructed in those days 
to stay as far away from a leper as possible. Now, leprosy was a mysterious disease, and, and it still is, even to this very day. Today, it's called, this form of leprosy is called Hansen's disease, and it's, a, it's very mysterious as to how it's contracted. It's, um, it's a disease that can't be healed, and uh, way back in the book of Leviticus, way back in the Old Testament there, in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, there's instruction given on how to identify leprosy and then uh, the process for the cleansing of leprosy. But it becomes clear when you look at those passages in Leviticus, it becomes clear that leprosy is not only a disease, but in the Bible, it's also used as a type of sin. Because leprosy, when it is, as we would say, healed, the Bible doesn't use the term healed, it uses the term cleansed. And cleansing is a purification term. It's a term that's used in the context of, of religious ceremony. And so leprosy became, in a sense, a, a picture of sin. And although it was incurable, God actually built into his law the possibility for a cleansing from it. And so here's a man who is a complete outcast Here's a man who uh, has to, when he comes into any contact with any people, from a, from a great distance away, he has to begin, begin to shout that he is unclean. So everybody can be forewarned and everybody can flee. So it's, it's a pretty pathetic picture of, of uh, a lonely, uh, isolated experience uh, battling with this sickness. But he comes to Jesus, and Jesus does something that nobody else would have done. Jesus had compassion on him. Now, most people wouldn't have done that because of the fear of con contracting leprosy. So it wasn't like maybe they didn't feel in their hearts like look at him and say, oh, gosh, I feel so bad. But sorry, I can't do anything for you. I can't help you. I can't get near you. I certainly can't touch you because uh, you know, of, the, of the possibility of getting contaminated. But some, and tragically, some of the religious leaders of the day, they had instructed people because they, they sort of blended the leprosy with sin. You know, in their minds, like if a person was a leper, it's because they were under a judgment from God. So some of the rabbis would teach that if a leper came anywhere near you, you were to pick up rocks and you were to throw them at the leper to keep the leper from coming close at all. So that's the experience of the leper. But now this leper, he approaches Jesus. And for whatever reason, he has the sense that Jesus is approachable. And he comes to Jesus, and as we see here, he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him. Now, that was a violation of the law. The law said, you shall not touch a leper. If you touch a leper, then you would become unclean yourself. You would be ceremonially defiled. But it didn't say anything about if you touch a leper and then the leper is healed of the leprosy. <laughs> if, you, if you touch a leper and your touch causes the leprosy to leave, then what can you say? And so, of course, that is what Jesus did. But notice, though, the compassion that Jesus, he was moved with compassion, and he touched this person. You can imagine that this person probably, I mean, we don't know how long they've been in this state, but they probably had not had a human touch in a long, long time. And so it's interesting that Jesus doesn't just say, hey, okay, Stand back, you know, stay over there, and yes, you're clean. But no, Jesus touches, and that's Jesus. He touches. He touches the defiled, but he cleanses when he touches. And so what, what we see here, and the point that I really want to make here, is, is what we see here again with Jesus is we see power. So he says to him, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the man is cleansed. 
So we see that Jesus, in this passage, he prayed, he preached, and he exerted power. Now, in just the rest of the text here, uh, Jesus instructs the man, don't, don't tell anybody what's happened, just go to the priest, show yourself, and uh, offer the sacrifice. And then the man just seems to have completely ignored what Jesus said, and he went out and he began to publish what Jesus did. Now, some people are really critical of this guy. You know, look at him. Jesus heals him, and he's, he doesn't even obey Jesus. Uh, well, okay, I get that. But, you know, I think if I was healed of leprosy and Jesus said, don't tell anybody, it'd be hard to contain that, wouldn't it? I, I don't think Jesus condemned him over that. But why would Jesus even say that in the first place? Well, the reason why Jesus said it is because the more the word spread about him, the more difficult his mission would become. Because you see, as people would begin to identify him as the Messiah, in their mind, the Messiah is the one who's going to come and be the king. He's the one who's going to exalt Israel once again. He's the one who's going to overthrow the Romans. And so he knows that if people are, are thinking you know, that about him, that the Messiah is here, it's going to make his mission more difficult. So he instructs those that he heals on occasion not to tell anybody. We know from John's gospel that there was an incident where after Jesus performed a miracle, it says they came and they tried by force to make him a king. But there was a, a, an appointed time for that to happen and that time had not come. So Jesus says that um, they were to, to keep silent about it, but the man went out and he, uh, you know, he, he broadcasted this uh, out there publicly, and it resulted in Jesus no longer openly being able to enter into the cities, but having to be in the deserted areas outside. So that's what's happening here as we look at the text. But I want to take now, and I want to make application in regard to these three things. So what we're looking at here is these three essential components for the forward motion of God's kingdom. Because like I said, Jesus began, Jesus inaugurated the kingdom. He came and he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. And of course, he, he thoroughly um, inaugurated it upon his death and resurrection. But since that time, the kingdom of God has been advancing. The kingdom of God has been moving forward. And that is still the case today. The kingdom of God is the place where Christ rules, where he reigns. And that's basically in the hearts of men and women. And the mission of the church is to carry on the advancement of the gospel. So here's the question. How do we do that? And the answer is right in front of us. This is how we do it, just like Jesus did it, with prayer, with preaching, and with the power of the Spirit. So let's look at each one of those in regard to how we see the kingdom move forward, both in our lives personally and uh, collectively within the culture. So... Again, prayer. Jesus showed us by example the importance of prayer. And again, let me say, remember, Jesus is, uh, he's the son of God. And so if the son of God needs to pray, then we need to pray as well. If Jesus sensed the need to, to communicate with his father we also have that need. And obviously, we have that need in, a, in an even greater way. Uh, Timothy Keller, in his fantastic book on the subject of prayer, he said this. He said, Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray. He healed people with prayers, insisted some demons could only be cast out through prayer. He prayed often and regularly with fervent cries and tears, and sometimes all night. The Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him while he was praying. He was transfigured with the divine glory as he prayed. When he faced his greatest crisis, he did so with prayer. We hear him praying for his disciples and the church the night before he died and then petitioning God in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Finally, he died praying. 
the point is, and it could, he could have gone on and on making it, the point is Jesus prayed. He taught us to pray, and he showed us to pray uh, with his own life. Listen, prayer is the great weapon, if you will, that God has given us to advance the kingdom. Now, I use the term weapon. Why do I use the term weapon? Because we're in a battle. We're in a war. We're in a spiritual battle. And there are these forces that are arrayed against the advancement of the kingdom. And the only way those forces are going to be pushed back is through using the spiritual weapons that God has given us. And prayer is a huge one of them. You know, I am so thankful for moms in prayer. I mean, can there be anything so wonderful as to know that there are women all around the world praying for their kids, praying for their grandkids. I mean, how many people have a testimony that uh, I'm a Christian today because my grandmother prayed for me or because my mother prayed me into the kingdom? I I guarantee millions of people. So when I hear about something like moms in prayer or when I think about, as as Jason prayed, uh, when when I think about praying for uh, educators. I think about praying for our school and all schools and, and the great mission field uh, that there is within the, the, you know, just within education itself. I think, man, this is the right thing. We have this amazing power, this power of prayer. But how is it that we have this amazingly powerful weapon that we so often um, neglect? How is it that we so often neglect this amazing uh, weapon of prayer? How is it that we miss out on how vitally important this is when we've got Jesus teaching us how to pray and we've got Jesus showing us how to pray? How is it? I don't know how it is. I'm just, <laughs> I'm, as, I'm as baffled as you are because sometimes I think like, what, even with myself, Lord, what is the matter with me? Why, why am I not praying about these things when I have the amazing privilege to pray? You see, prayer, there's a couple things that happen in prayer. Number one, prayer is where we acknowledge our own weakness and powerlessness to accomplish the will, the plan, and the purposes of God. That, that's what we're doing. So when I pray, I am admitting I don't have what it takes to do what needs to be done. I'm admitting that I need assistance. I need help. Now, conversely, when I don't pray, whether I'm intending to or not, what I'm saying is, hey, it's okay. I got it handled. I got it covered. But the fact of the matter is, no, we don't have it handled. We we really don't have it covered. We are weak. We are powerless. We're in a, a spiritual battle And you can't win a spiritual war with anything less than spiritual weapons. That's why Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, he reminds them, he says, the weapons of our warfare, they're they're not merely human, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. You see, all of... All that we can muster up as as human beings, all of the resources that we might muster, all of the intellect that we might muster, all of the, you know, whatever, argumentation, uh, whatever we we might think that, okay, I've got got all of these resources to, to move forward spiritually, I can't go anywhere because the weapons of our warfare are not merely human but they are mighty in God. So what prayer does is prayer gives us access to all the resources of heaven, and that's what we need. We need God's resources. Prayer is where we receive understanding, wisdom, provision, power, and strength for the work of God both in and through our lives. You know, God is working in you, and God wants to work through you. And prayer is one of the major means by which God is doing that work in us that needs to be done. Uh, I need understanding. I need spiritual understanding. My my understanding is limited. And I come uh, up to to so many things and I I look at them and I'm perplexed and I think, Lord, I I don't know. I need understanding. Guess what? God gives understanding. I, I come 
across many situations where I feel like, man, I need wisdom here. I, I really need you know, something beyond myself. I need wisdom. God gives wisdom. We so often find ourselves in need of provision. You know, we feel like God's called us to go and to take the gospel, to go, you know, do some, something that's going to have an impact maybe somewhere else in the world. And, and as, we, um, as we look at the, the prospect of doing that and, and as we feel the, the calling to go do it, and then sometimes we look and we think, but Lord, what about the resources? You know, how, how are we going to do this? Well, it's through prayer, God brings, like I said, uh, all of the resources of heaven, we access them through prayer. So whether it's provision or it's power or the strength that we need to keep moving forward personally and collectively, this comes to us through prayer. So some of you know that a week from today, we're going to take a team and we're going to go to Scotland and we're going to do... an, an outreach in the city of Dundee. We have been in Scotland, as again, some of you know, for the past couple of years. We've been in Glasgow for the past couple of years. And this is an outreach that's connected to our outreach in uh, Cornwall, England, Creation Fest, uh, a week-long event there, but we take it up into Scotland and we are there planning and doing street ministry for a week and then on a, on a Saturday, it'll be Saturday the 29th of this month, um, we'll be set up right there in the city square of Dundee and we'll be proclaiming the gospel. And so this past week, I got some communication from Sarah. Uh, Sarah is our um, festival coordinator. She's our boots on the ground uh, girl there in the UK. And she flew uh, up to Scotland and she met with the churches and she wrote me and she said, I was so encouraged in the meeting today. So 20 plus churches coming together, all in support of this. But she said this, they told her this, that in all of, the, in all of their time together in, the, in this city, they have never once done an outreach. They've never once joined together to preach the gospel in this city, never once. And, but they said to her, they said, you know, we feel like we've had this bus, but it didn't have any wheels on it. So we couldn't go anywhere. But you guys have come, and, and Creation Fest is like the wheels, and now we can drive the bus. And I thought, that's a great, that's a great picture there. But the thing that it made me think as I got this very positive report, it, it made me think about the situation we're going into, and it made me think about how we need to pray. Because one of the biggest problems, not just in Scotland, but it's a problem I think almost everywhere in the world. You know one of the biggest problems in the world as far as the church moving forward? One of the biggest problems is the church itself. The church is so paralyzed in so many cases because we are so busy fighting with each other and bickering and disagreeing and dividing over non-essential, unimportant things that, that we can't get anything done. And I think, Lord, I remember I used to read through John chapter 17. You know, if you read John chapter 17, John chapter 17 is the, the prayer of Jesus. It's actually the Lord's prayer. It's, a, it's an actual prayer of Jesus. And he's praying for not only those who are with him, the apostles at the time, but he says, but I'm praying for everyone who's going to believe in me through their word, and this is what he prays over and over again, Lord, that they may be one as we are one. And he prays, I think, five or seven times in that passage, he prays for unity and oneness among believers. And I remember years ago, I used to read that, and I think, Lord, okay, we got it. You're praying for one. I mean, let's move on to another topic now. Why, why do you continue to, to emphasize this? You know what? Now I know why. Because this was going to be the greatest hurdle of all in the history of the church for Christians to get along and see each other as one, uh, you know, one body in Christ, all working together for the same purpose. So as we go to Scotland, I'm asking you to pray, to pray that God will use the ministry there 
to get the gospel out, but as it seems to be happening already, to bring the churches together. Because the gospel's not going to go forward as long as Christians are divided up over these petty things. That, that needs to change. And that's something that is worth praying about. So prayer, though, that's our... God's given us prayer. He's given us this access to himself, and he invites us to come and to lay out our request before him. And he promises to supply us. And Jesus shows us, as we've been seeing here by his own example, how vitally important it is to do that very thing. The second thing, though, is preaching. So as I said, Jesus was a preacher. He was a preacher. The apostles were preachers. They were sent out to preach. The church is to preach. That's what the church is for. The church has many different aspects to it, and there are many different things that, that we are to do you know, as Christian people. And when I say the church, I'm, I'm talking about the church in the sense of, of its representation um, by those who occupy a pulpit, like I'm doing right here today, um, my main responsibility here and every pastor, the main responsibility of the pastor is to preach. That's what we do. We are called to preach. Now, Jesus shows us in the text that we're looking at, he shows us the priority of preaching. And he even says, notice he says, this is the reason that I came forth. I came from heaven to preach. I came to tell people the truth. And that's what the church is to do. So Paul, he writes to his young uh, protege, Timothy, on, and Paul has finished his ministry at this point. He's ready to, he's going to be martyred, actually. But, but Paul writes to Timothy, and he says this about the church. He says, the church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. So a pillar is something that holds something else up. So the picture that Paul is painting is that the church is to hold forth the truth of God. That, that's the responsibility of the church. And you know, I can tell you this right now with absolute confidence and total certainty that if the church would do this, the world would be a different place. The problem is the church doesn't do what it's called to do. The church so often doesn't preach. But Paul says the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. He says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. He says to Timothy, therefore, preach the word. Basically, Paul is saying, Timothy, I'm dying. I, I'm, I'm going to the chopping block. Nero is going to execute him, which he did. But Paul says, Timothy, this is the commission I'm giving to you. Preach the word. And, and so that's what the church is to do. But we constantly are hearing voices, and, and sometimes those who have influence in the church saying things like, um, well, no, you know, we, we need to tone it down with the preaching. We hear people say things like, well, you know, people don't listen to preaching anymore. We can't give sermons. We certainly can't give long sermons. Uh, you know, if, if you're going to do the sermon thing, you need to make it more like a TED Talk, you know, at just 18 minutes or under. And um, I mean, there are, there are seminaries today that will instruct potential preachers for the future that they, you know, you should never preach on a Sunday morning more than 20 minutes. You can see that I never went to a seminary like that, and <laughs> I've never taken that advice. <laughs> I mean, I try to, I, I, I try to keep it, you know, 40 to 45 minutes, but I don't always succeed in doing that either. But, um, but you know, no, I, you know, TED Talks are great for what they are, but this is not a TED Talk. This is not what we're doing. This is not what Jesus did, and he's not, it's not what he's called us to do. We are to preach. We are, as I said, that means to proclaim. It means to publish the gospel, and we're to do it loud and clear. And this has been my experience. I have seen this firsthand over and over again. Wherever the word is preached, the church is strong. 
Wherever the word is neglected, the church is weak. That is just a reality across the board. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter if you're in, you know, the southern hemisphere, the northern hemisphere. Doesn't matter if you're in Europe or you're in Asia. Where, wherever you are, that's that's the reality. If the word is preached, the church is strong because that's how the church becomes strong through the preaching of the word, and the world is impacted. People hear the message. And the message itself has power. And it, this is something that, that we are to do. We are to unashamedly preach God's word. And for those that think that, well, you know, the culture's just not into that anymore, you know, that's nonsense. Everybody's preaching. Do we realize that? Everybody's preaching. Now, the devil doesn't want anybody preaching the gospel. But he's fine with all kinds of other stuff being preached. And, you know, all you got to do, I mean, you don't have to go far. You can do, see it on social media. You can go to the, you can go to the movies. Uh, you can listen to the music. Everybody's preaching. Everybody's got a message. I read this week about this uh, very impassioned speech that Harrison Ford gave on climate change. And, and the emphasis in the article was like how impassioned he was on this topic. And I, as I saw that, I thought, wow, he's preaching. That's what his convictions are. He's very, very much convicted that this is the greatest moral crisis in the history of the world, this climate change thing. So he's going to get up and use his influence. He's going to use his clout as a celebrity, and he's going to preach to people. Okay? Everybody's preaching. And listen, the church, as I said, is to preach, like I'm doing from this pulpit, but guess what? All Christians are to preach. All Christians are to preach. Now, you might say, wait a second, that sounds a bit scary, because after all, people don't want to be preached at. Well, you know, that is true, but like we were kind of talking about earlier, it kind of, it depends on how you understand preaching. And no, I get it. Nobody wants to be preached to where you've got somebody who's, you know, pointing the finger in a condemning way and self-righteously uh, with a holier-than-thou attitude telling everybody else they need to, you know, repent and get it right like, like I've already done. Um, I don't, I don't want to hear that kind of preaching. That's not... That's not what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about preaching. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about preaching. As I said, the word preach, the word preach really, it, it, if you just think of it in terms of, of synonyms, um, the word here means to just, it, the idea is just get the word out. It's to proclaim it. It's to publish it. It's to advertise it, to declare it, to broadcast it, to herald it, to place it. Just get the word out. So, you know, again, it's not that stereotypical um, kind of view of preaching. It's not that, um, that caricature of, of the preacher. It's just getting the word out. And every Christian is called to do that. We're called to just get God's word out. We're called to publish it. We're called to, to um, advertise it to declare it, to, to broadcast it. And you know, you might do that in a conversation with your neighbor or somebody that you work with. You might do it by um, posting something on social media where you're just expressing the, the, the gospel. Uh, you might do it by writing someone a letter. You know, some of you might have seen this. I read this amazing uh, thing last night on line about um, a letter that they found from former President Reagan, and it was a personal handwritten letter to his father-in-law, who was an atheist, uh, that he wrote to him a few days before he died, before his father-in-law died. And it is such a beautiful appeal and such a kind and a gracious and a loving appeal uh, to his father-in-law, where he's just basically saying to him, listen, um, I know that you, you know, he, he was a professed atheist. His father-in-law was, he said, I, I understand all of that, but 
but let me tell you about Jesus. And he just, he just spells out this beautiful thing about Jesus as the Savior. You know, that's what we're talking about here. He did it with uh, paper and pen. So, so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about just getting God's word out to people, however we do that. And so that's what we're called to do. That's what the church is called to do. Jesus set the example. He said, I have come forth to preach. And then thirdly, what I want us to see here, and we'll see it many times over in these gospels, but remember, Jesus comes and he exerts supernatural power. Supernatural power. And listen, this is where the church, I think, has at least a, a fair portion of the church has has lost perspective. This is where we have been so radically influenced by our culture and not, I'm not talking about American culture uh, specifically, but I'm talking about more just sort of Western culture, um, the, uh, the enlightenment, rationalism, uh, you know, the, kind of the reduction of everything to the material. And even among Christians, you find that so often there's a discomfort with the supernatural. There's kind of like a, let's just keep that supernatural stuff at a distance. You know, that's kind of weird. And honestly, I, I read through, you know, a bunch of different books and commentaries and things on the scripture. And it amazes me how often guys who are definitely believers and definitely you know, Bible guys, how often they want to reduce the supernatural to something natural. How often they want to explain the supernatural away by saying, well, you know, the Red Sea, you know, it actually, you know, there was a natural phenomenon that occurred and that's why the Red Sea parted. And they, they want to take the, the supernatural. There's something in us that is afraid of the supernatural. And this is paralyzing the church. Jesus operated in the power of the Spirit. And listen, this is the reality. Christian people, if you're a Christian today, in the truest sense, if you're a Christian in the biblical sense, your very existence is due to the miraculous intervention of God. See, our Christian life is the result of a supernatural experience. God intervened into your life. He stepped in. He did a miracle. You know, people say, uh, Christians say, I've never seen a miracle. You are a miracle if you're a Christian. <laughs> you are a miracle. There's not an, if there is a human explanation for your Christianity, then you need to consider whether or not you're a Christian. Because becoming a Christian is itself a miracle. We are born of the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit. We're given the gifts of the Spirit. We're empowered by the Spirit. These are all the terms that the New Testament uses. And you know, again, for some people, that's just a little weird. It's too weird. But listen, God is real, and God is moving, and God wants to talk to you God wants to talk to you. He wants to tell you stuff. He wants to use you to talk to other people. He wants to use you maybe to even heal another person that through you, God would bring about a healing work. And you see, that's, that's the reality that sometimes, you know, we, we believe it in our heads, but we're kind of like, wow, you know, man, we read the Bible and we're like, wow, that was crazy stuff going on back then. Um, why isn't that stuff happening today? People often ask that question. And you know, I think a large reason why it's not happening is because of unbelief and because it's uncomfortable and because we've forgotten and we've settled into a place where, you know, it's just kind of easier just to go through life as Christians. And, um, you know, I'm all for using our head. I'm all for thinking. I'm all, I'm all for argument and propositional truth. I'm for all of that, but we need more than that. We need more than that. I'm obviously all for preaching, but we need more than preaching. We need the power of God at work in people's lives. And, and I just feel like it's an area where so many of us, we have, we, we might even reserve in our theological understanding a place for it, but in our practical experience, we shy away from it. 
So we say we believe in it, but we never really open ourselves up to experience it. You know, when was the last time that you prayed for somebody believing that God was actually going to answer your prayer? When was the last time you approached somebody for prayer, believing that through this prayer, God was going to minister to you? When was the last time you got together with Christians thinking, you know, God's going to speak to me through somebody here tonight or today? God is going to do something. Are, do we come together with the expectation that God is among us and, the, and that God is working today and that there's prophetic words to be given and that there's healing power to be demonstrated and that those gifts that the Bible talks about are actually things that today God wants to be doing among us. And I am afraid that we, and I'm included in this, I'm not you know, pointing the finger at you, uh, we're, we're all, I think, culpable in this, um, that, that we have just, you know, we, we acknowledge it, but we just kind of, okay, that's great, you know, those, those people over there are kind of wild and crazy, you know, they do that stuff, but we're more conservative, we're more, you know... We like to do it a little more subdued. You know, I, I've been noticing, like, even in our worship here, it's like we're just, like, kind of just so afraid to be expressive. You know, we're so in this mindset of just, like, you know, I can't, I can't get too excited. You know, that's, we don't do that here. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You know, we're, we're worshiping God, the living God, the true God. And sometimes that should get a person excited. Sometimes it might cause them to throw their hands up, shout something. We're like, oh, what's going on here? What's that person doing? Man, we're the ushers. Get that person under control. <laughs> You know, seriously, what, what has happened to us? God help us. Because the New Testament is full of power. Pictures of power. So Jesus, he prayed, he preached, and he had power. So we need to pray. And we need to preach. And we also need to just say, Lord, forgive us for neglecting. Forgive us for not giving room for your power. And Lord, open our hearts afresh to the, the reality that we are born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, given gifts of the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. Um, Lord, just do a fresh work of your Spirit among us. Because as that happens, that's how the kingdom will advance forward as God is moving and people are being touched and changed. And just like this leper, you know, when that happens, it can't be contained. It can't be contained. When, when Christ does something in us, what do we do? We got to tell somebody else about it. And, and is, is our lack of... Um, motivation or excitement to tell other people about it is is that due to the fact that we don't have much of an experience these days was there a time when we were much more sensitive to the voice of the lord when we were like man you know god's speaking to me god's telling me this and now we don't even like to use that terminology anymore you know that just sounds a little bit wild so we we kind of you know shy away from that these are the the marks of um, what happens as the kingdom moves forward. Prayer, preaching, power, and may that be the experience that we have. I believe that God is moving. I really do. And I, I'm excited at that, uh, the prospect of all the Lord wants to do. But I also feel in my own life, even like the Lord just speaking to me about all of these things, about prayer and about preaching and about the power 
And, and although I'm so thankful that God is moving, I, I believe that he wants to move in an even greater way. And I think that as we pray, as we proclaim, and as we walk in the power of his spirit, we're gonna see the kingdom advance because the kingdom of God will advance as we, by faith, exercise ourselves spiritually. As we exercise the gifts of the spirit, as we just step out and just say, you know, I'm gonna believe the Lord. I'm gonna trust God. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna expect God to do things. As we do that in regard to the gifts of the spirit and as we walk in the fruit of the spirit, which is love, and it's a love that loves even the unlovely, it's a love that, that moves me to, as we saw here with Jesus, have compassion on the person uh, that's really the outcast. As the Spirit does a fresh work in us, the Spirit will do a fresh work through us. And so, Lord, we thank you for these reminders. Lord, we thank you for these uh, pictures in the Scripture. And here as we see our Lord Jesus going away to a solitary place for prayer. Lord, help us to pray. Help us to pray. Lord, as we see the priority of preaching, Lord, help us to open our mouths, to speak up. Help us to take our pen or our um, keyboard or or whatever it is through which we might publish and communicate the gospel. Help us to do that, Lord. And Lord, help us to open our hearts to that fresh work and move of your spirit. Lord, that the things that we read about here in the New Testament would not be perplexing to us because we don't know anything about them experientially, but Lord, that we by experience might see these very things happen. Lord, that the leper those with leprosy among us today, in our culture today, that they would sense that they could come and know that there will be compassion and healing. And so do your work, we pray, in us, that you might work through us. In Jesus' name, amen.